0: Side Hustle Show 111, how to make money as a freelancer without competing for jobs on Elance or Odesk.
1: Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into
0: reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now, your host, Nick Loper. Hey everybody, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. This is episode 111, how to make money as a freelancer without racing to the bottom on price or competing on the massive freelance marketplaces like Elance or Odesk. I'm excited to welcome Daniel DiPiazza back to the show from rich20something.com. Daniel is one of the smartest people I know, and I enjoy reading his stuff, even though I am no longer a 20-something, I think it's, uh, it's something we can all relate to, we can all aspire to. and. He's just somebody who's always great to uh, to chat with. And you may remember him from way back in episode 35 when he shared with me how he's using his his marsupial method, which I don't know if he's trademarked yet, uh, that, that took his tutoring business from $18 an hour to uh, $100 an hour. So if you haven't heard that one yet, uh, go back into the archives and, uh, and give that one a listen. It's episode 35. This week, in this episode, you're going to learn how to identify profitable skills you already have, how to validate your service, find your first clients, overcome objections, and seal the deal. All the notes and highlights along with Daniel's top tips are available to you in a free downloadable PDF at sidehustlenation.com slash 111 slash 111 or through the link in the episode description of your podcast player app. And Daniel has actually put together his own little bonus, some really juicy content I know you're going to love over at rich20something.com slash side hustle, all one word, and two zero, like uh, not not spelled out. Um, definitely encourage you to check that out. And I'll remind you of that URL again uh, at the end of the show. Let's get into it. Well, I'm excited to dive into this stuff on freelance domination. It seems like this is what uh, Rich twenty something has really niched down to focus on in the past uh, year or so. So where do we where do we start with this stuff? Like figuring out, what, i guess figuring out what we can sell, what we can freelance on. Yes,
1: yeah, man. I mean, you know, the um, it's it's always funny. I love doing podcasts because just like on any um, like any like TV or radio, it's like you always it's the, the guests guest and the host always be like bsing before the thing starts and then the thing starts and we're like, well. Tell me the exact steps, but like, these are the conversations we have in everyday life, right? You'll be around, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you'll be out at a dinner table with a bunch of friends and you're running ideas by them. Like, Hey guys, what do you think about this? Like, is this a good idea? And you'll be BSing with your friends. And these are kind of the, the ways that we, we try to come up with ideas, right? We're trying to figure out what the best fit for us is, right?
0: I guess, but I'm, you know, looking back to my, you know, dinner, dinner conversation from last night and I'm trying to think of any, if any ideas came up over
1: nachos. (laughs) Sometimes they do, but I mean, you know, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is idea generation is hard. We feel like it's really hard. We, we, we scowl online. We look at, you know, or scour, we scour online. We look at for, you know, for blog posts to find good ideas. We talk to our friends, We talk to our family, we rack our brain. And it's hard to come up with an idea that we think is going to be um, profitable. Right. And that's, that's kind of, I think that's everyone's major sticking point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in some Yeah, no, continue on that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, so I mean today I think the most important thing is I want to kind of try to help everyone take away. I want to help you try to figure out how to find a profitable idea, and then I want to show you how to find clients that are going to pay for it. And then we'll talk a little bit about ethical persuasion and how to really kind of get inside people's heads in in an ethical way to show them that what you're offering is valuable. Most people never get started because they can't come up with a good idea. And I think the first thing you need to remember is, well, actually, let's back it up. Because for some people who aren't familiar with the term, what is freelancing, right? So freelancing is essentially just offering skills that you already have um, to individual clients rather than working for a company and using some of those skills to power a company, right? Um, And I think that most people don't think about freelancing because when we think about entrepreneurship, we think about you know, startups in Silicon Valley, we think about getting investor money and we think about, you know, Mark Zuckerberg. And I think in reality, most people, when they're making the transition from working their nine to five to entrepreneurship, freelancing is kind of that hidden middle step. And I think it's overlooked and underappreciated.
0: Yeah, I think you're 100% right on that. I think this is one of the fastest ways for people to get started because you don't need to build a product you don't need to build an audience you don't need to build a website even you know, it's hit at the very beginning and it's just um, i guess the the beef against it is it's not the allure of of passive income it's not a four-hour work week type of business like it's still kind of hustling for hustling for business trading time for money but there's i mean there's ways you can grow out of that or scale that but what's what's your take on that
1: yeah, I mean, you know, and here, here's the thing. Well, first of all, you have to remember that in terms of, in, ter- in terms of like your return on investment, so that, or your, your ret- the return on your time, people people negate freelancing because they think, oh, well, I still have to work for my money. But think about how, think about how you're compensated for your regular job, your everyday job. So you have, you know, a salary or you have an hourly wage, and um, you, you almost don't even see all the money that's being taken away from you working at those jobs so you know a good example is um i use this example a lot and i'm pretty sure my mom doesn't listen to podcasts so she'll never know this <laughs> but <laughs> i was talking to her a couple months ago or maybe this was over a year ago and um she's uh she's a paralegal so she you know she works in law offices helping attorneys to get cases ready all that stuff and um i was talking to her and i was you know we we're talking about like guess salaries and um she makes somewhere between 30 and 40 dollars an hour, which is pretty good, and most people will be happy to make 30 or 40 dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were talking about what she does for her clients, and she bills them at about 150 bucks an hour, right? And so the law firm collects the 150 and then breaks her off like $35 from that. Yeah. But she's the one sometimes handling the clients end to end, like literally, you know, onboarding them, Walking them through things because it's really her role to make it so that they don't even have to see the attorneys. Like she wants to handle most of the work, so that the attorneys don't have to do anything. And the attorneys still end up, you know, charging the full one hundred and fifty, and she only gets a small percentage of that. And I said, "Well, that means that the skills that you're doing, the work that you're doing, is actually worth one hundred fifty dollars an hour, and the firm that you're in is giving you thirty-five of that, right?"
0: Right. Well, similar to the story told last year, you know, on your tutoring right. business at you know they're paying you 18 and meanwhile charging 100 or something exactly. to the clients
1: exactly and we for, we forget about that and we forget about the fact that you know when you're um when you're in you know when you're in a a company they're going to spend sometimes tens of thousands of dollars to train you they have health insurance sometimes that they'll give you and so all that gets kind of built into the background and you get this reduced wage yeah um, and the good thing about freelancing is that when you learn how to position yourself right, you can kind of maximize your wage by charging prices that allow you to choose how you spend that income. So, you know, um, yes, there are taxes involved, but at the end of the day, you can charge someone $100, $150 an hour with the right skill set, um, and then you can decide how you want to really divide that that income, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think, so you think people should start, like in the case of your mom, like should she start a paralegal freelancing thing? Is that a, is that a thing?
1: Well, let's talk about how to find ideas right and so and we'll and I'll touch on that. I won't forget that um so when we're talking about ideas, I think that the the most important thing to remember is that you know profitable skills are are everywhere, right so I mean, you know if you're a fitness nut, you could be doing that by yourself, you could be personal training people if you're great with numbers, you know accountants are are huge as as a freelance. Entrepreneurs. If you're a computer wizard and you have IT skills or programming skills, those are really valuable skills that you can help someone with. Are um, you good at teaching? You know, you can start up a tutoring company. If you're if you play an instrument, you can teach someone to learn to to learn as well. If you love animals, you can dog sit. You can pet sit. There's all these everything that you've ever done in your life. Uh, you can probably attach a monetary value to it and help someone out with it. You know, if you come up with an idea just by thinking about the things you do in your everyday life, so things people tell you you're good at. Hobbies that you have, things you're already doing at your job, um, things you've always wanted to, to kind of teach or help someone with, you can you can validate it pretty easily, and you can see if it's worth your time uh, pretty easily. And so I have this this concept of what I call a three question validation. Okay. And so it, it's pretty simple. The first question to ask yourself is: Is there competition? You want people to have comp. You want your business to have competition. You you want there to be some competitive climate. A lot of people are looking for an idea that's completely you know unique and no one has done this before. But I don't really like that because I like to see that there's uh, been a demand for this. I like to see that there are other clients and uh, there's already an existing customer base, and then I can then I can differentiate myself from there. Okay. Um, the second thing is you know, obviously does this competition have business already, right?
0: so if there's no if there's competition out there but everyone is starving that's not exactly
1: exactly you know it's like um you look at the film industry and you have all these actors and all these like directors and writers and there's a lot of competition but most of them aren't working you know and so maybe that's a that's some of the field you should stay away from okay okay. Um, and then so is there competition do they have clients and then the, the last question is can you do it differently or better right and so, if you ask yes, or if you answer yes to all these questions, then that's a good idea to go with, right? So, and you, you can you can solve this this validation pretty simply just by googling it. So, I did this with my uh, with my girlfriend. She wanted to start a, a dog walking business, like dog walking, pet sitting. Okay. And so, we just googled online. We googled Santa Monica dog walker, and we live in Venice, but Santa Monica is really close, and so it's a good market. And we googled it online, and a lot of a lot, like I think, like five or six results came up immediately, and you could see that they had Google reviews, they had Yelp reviews. So people were using these dog walkers; uh, they were leaving reviews. So they had clients, they had customers, okay. and we could even look at those those results and see kind of how they were operating, what the prices were, and what they were, how they were doing their business to think about ways to do it differently. And boom! All of a sudden, we have a validated idea.
0: Sure. What did you come up with to differentiate the dog walking? that seems very much like a kind of a commodity thing. Like I will walk your dog.
1: Uh, you'd think it is a commodity, but um, but you know it's. Yeah, first of all, you have to remember that, like at least in our area, you know Santa Monica, Venice, it's very like I don't know. I guess the the politically correct term would be like foofy. It's very, foofy. <laughs> and everyone is really into their dogs. Like I mean, we, I think women buy purses specifically to put their dogs in around here. It's a very like it's that type of community. Yes. So one thing that Sarah does, which I think is really cute, is um, after the dogs stay with her for the first time whether it's like dog sitting or whether it's just pet walking, she'll, she'll take a picture of the dog and she'll put it in a frame that she has and give it in a little gift bag to the clients. Okay. Wow. It, It sounds crazy, right? But they love this because these, these clients are obsessed with their dogs and you can tell that you can even look when we did the Google search, we were looking at some of the reviews of these, of these different dog walking services and they're like, you know, Oh, this, uh, you know, I loved I love this dog one because they gave my dog, you know, fresh, uh, fresh purified water and organic <laughs> treats, and that's the yeah, that's the type of stuff that they like. So we're like, okay, well, how can we get even foofier? You know?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And, I, We joke about it, but like, if somebody did that, you know, for our dog, I would, I would love them for it too. <laughs> yeah,
1: awesome. And you know, and really, at the end of the day, with any business, um, people do business with you because they like you. So if they like Sarah more because she gives them nice things in addition to her great service, then they're going to come back.
0: Okay. No, so that's, it that gives us some, some good ideas to come up with kind of what, what skills we may already have. And that's essentially like, look, I don't need to go learn something new. I already have something. And I think it was from one of your posts. Hey, by definition, if you've ha- ever held a job ever, like that's a skill worth paying for. Someone was yeah. paying you to do something and, uh, and trying to use that validation method to say like, you know, if this guy was paying me, if my employer was paying me to do that, there's probably other people that might be looking for a similar service.
1: No, oh, exactly. And um, I mean, and kind of just bringing it home uh, with your question about my mom what, what would she do Would she opened up a freelance paralegal business? Well, sometimes you need to think not not quite outside the box, but just right next to the box. So, for instance, with paralegal services, I don't know, you'd have to do some testing, but I, I'm pretty sure that like paralegals stay within firms. Yeah. Right. Um, and so you might have a job where you think, oh man, my job isn't really applicable outside of my outside of my you know current employer. And so I don't have any skills. So, but maybe you think right next to the box. So, like in my mom's case, um, she's a she's a paralegal, but she's had you know, jeez now probably 15 years of experience negotiating legal claims. She's had work. She's done a lot of work in the insurance industry. So she has the skills to become a consultant, right? She could become um, a legal consultant, or you have. Someone like uh, maybe someone who works as uh, I don't know, like a like a physician's assistant, right? And you're like, well, I can't treat patients outside of right, right, <laughs> hospital. That would be probably weird and illegal. But you're like, well, you know, I work with a lot of kids, so maybe I can um, maybe I can do like babysitting, or maybe I can do like you have you have teachers who don't teach on the weekends, but they'll do like um, kids party hosting, right? They'll do stuff like that. Um, so just interesting little tweaks to. Existing skill sets that you already have, but maybe not the exact thing you're doing for work.
0: Okay, a little, a little pivot to um, yeah, to a slightly different market. Okay,
1: think about the general, think about the general area. So you like, you know, you might not be able to serve at, you know, um, food at, at you know outside of the restaurant that you work at, but maybe you can do catering stuff like that.
0: Okay, okay. Like you know, one of, one of the side hustles I started recently is like this book editing business because I. You know, it was, it was a something that I needed, and you know, I kind of had got my first few clients through word of mouth and actually through Fiverr. Nice. And you know, it's kind of fun. Like I can walk on the treadmill uh, desk upstairs, and and oftentimes I'm learning something since I said, look, I'm only going to do nonfiction. Like if you need somebody for your vampire romance novel, yeah. like that's <laughs> not the right guy for that. Yeah. So I'm learning something. I'm walking. It's kind of fun. But it, you know, it's like it was nothing. It was not necessarily a skill that I had exercised since, you know, since high school when you're like, you know, right. grading or, you know, kind of reviewing your your classmates' papers. But it was something like, okay, I've, you know, now written several books and this is something that I think I can do because I like when I read other people's Kindle books, like I'm like mentally being like, ooh, there's a typo. And people are probably doing the same with mine. So hopefully yeah. hopefully they're relatively clean. But like, you know, you read some of them and you're like Oh, you know, they didn't—they didn't catch that, or or they very clearly didn't hire a, didn't hire a proofreader or something like that. So, uh,
1: well, I mean, no, I mean, and that's and I think that's perfect because that's a skill that you have, but you weren't always thinking about monetizing it, right? It's just something that you already did, and but you're like, oh wow, maybe this is a business,
0: right? And it's I mean, it's not a huge, um, it's not a huge portion of the business, but it's kind of fun as as different clients come in and, and stuff. Yeah. It gives gives me a sneak peek on some of these uh, some of these books that are coming out.
1: Absolutely, and well, you know, and that's one thing I wanted to kind of highlight is that if you look at the way that the economy is going now, like I think people are really becoming creative at making their own jobs and figuring out things that other people will pay for, and a lot of that is leaning towards um, extreme personalization, right? And so this isn't really this isn't necessarily freelancing, but I've seen a lot of advertisements, especially on Facebook, recently for services um, that that do things like they come to your house. So for instance, you know, everyone's really really familiar with Uber, things like that. And maybe, maybe you even do like Grubhub where they deliver food to your house, which is really cool. Um, but now I've seen, I've seen ads for, um, like applications where you can press a button and a masseuse will come to your house, right? Or, um, or you can press a button and they'll deliver, uh, you know, like wine or alcohol and chocolate to your house as a, as like a little party starter. So people are realizing now that, we don't necessarily have to depend on these large companies to get the things that we want. Um, we can start businesses ourselves that cater to people's individual needs by solving a problem, right? Okay. Yeah, and so it's just it's just a new way to to change the way that you're thinking about what you have that's valuable, you know. And a lot of times you can either use a skill that you already have, or you can try to find problems that. That you see exists, maybe problems that have, you've had had personally that you've encountered, or things that your friends, family, and people around you have have kind of mentioned and so that that's causing them strife, and you can solve that problem
0: yeah that, that kind of reminds me of one of our I think mutual friends Meredith uh, was oh, in yeah. my mastermind group last year she started doing this meal delivery service for uh, law students nice. like they were like you're know, studying for the bar in New York, and Uh, you know this test is so intense that you you literally like don't have time (laughs) to you you don't have time to prepare food for yourself (laughs) and so she started this like little meal delivery service for them and i don't know if she's still doing it but i was like that's perfect like you know rather than trying to you know build a blog build up authority it's like very very simple like here's my product here's what i'm gonna deliver to you here's how much it costs you know here's where you sign up um very very cool. Um, that kind of transitions us into the the next phase, which is you know finding those finding those first customers, trying to get a little bit of of you know real validation in terms of dollars and cents. Did you know that roughly half of side hustle nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like
1: So, you know, um, one of the more popular things I've talked about is Elant and Odesk and those online marketplaces. And, you know, I'll say that, you know, um, those online marketplaces can work well, uh, depending on what your skill set is. But it works well specifically for like, you know, um, people who do things on the computer. So, you know, programmers, designers, developers, things like that. And it does work well and it can work. But a lot of people feel left out because they're like, well, I don't have a skill that's you know, transferable to some sort of internet job market. So again, I can't do this. Well, you know, that's not true. The first thing I would do is uh, something that I call warm canvassing. And so if you think of, well, cold canvassing, you think of like, I don't know if you've ever had to sell things door to door. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's horrible. Like when I was a kid, we had these like world's greatest chocolate bars, world's finest chocolate.
0: Oh my gosh, um, we definitely sold those too.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, I think every, there's no child. I can
0: like nasty. I can picture the box. The green ones yeah. were, were money. The green ones and were so good.
1: The green ones were good, but it's like I don't know if it's the world's finest. It's a little bit. <laughs> it's a little bit of a hyperbole, but it's good chocolate. But come on, you know. So I had to sell those. I had to sell popcorn door to door as a boy scout. I had all these different things I had to sell, and I was never comfortable with it because it was always a very like a cold approach. Yeah, you know, it's like just knocking on doors. Plus, I didn't really like the product that much, so it was hard for me to sell those things, and it's really uncomfortable. But warm canvassing is kind of the flip side of that. Warm canvassing is when you find people who already need what you have, and it's a very simple pitch. So, for instance, if you ever been at, like, have you ever said to yourself something like, "Oh, you know, you're looking at uh, uh, like a restaurant's website. You're like, man, this website sucks. I could build a better one." Yes. Or you know, exactly right. Or you're at like your you're like your local chiropractor, and you're looking at his advertisements or his brochures, and you're like, these look like crap. I could totally make a better one than this. Or you know, or you're, you know, you know, you maybe you, you live in an apartment complex and their gym is always, you know, full of people, but they need a trainer. You're like, well, man, I could train the, I could train the people here. Or maybe you know, like you were saying, like you're reading through someone's Kindle book and you're like, man, they're making all these mistakes. I should, I should fix these mistakes. These are bad. You know, um, the the key to warm canvassing is looking for local small businesses or people that are doing things and trying to figure out where you can help them just by by kind of applying your own skill set to them. So uh, a, a way I like to kind of to phrase this is, you know, you think about someone who who has a certain skill set. You think about um, or you think about maybe you take a store like a like I don't know, like a like a a shoe repair store. And you're like, "Wow, you know, they've had a shoe repair store and the, they've had a family business for, you know, 30 years and they're really good at what they do, shoe repair, but they're really really bad at marketing and advertising." You know? Um, what you'll often find and what you'll find is that people have one skill set in their wheelhouse and they usually don't even have the other skill set that they really need to kind of complete their their business right like they're good at one thing but they're completely unaware of where they're lacking in other areas yeah, yeah. and you can use this to your advantage by finding different places where people need your help or can use your skills and you can pitch to them pretty easily
0: okay no i definitely come across like you know, these these websites, like, oh, this website is horrible. I can totally build a build a better one. But yeah. Um, yeah. I like that idea. Warm canvassing, finding people who already need what you have or what you can provide.
1: Yep. Yep. And um so so I guess there are kind of a couple of ways to approach this. So you know you're and this is this is actually a pretty low pressure way for you because you don't have to at first, you know, um put too much effort into finding these people because you interact with things every day that probably can can use your help in some way but so you're walking through your daily life you're at the doctor's office you're looking at websites online you're you're interacting with people and you find people who might be able to use your services and so the first kind of thing you want to do is you want to think all right well how can i bring this to their attention how can i show them that what they're doing could potentially be you know improved by what i'm offering right and so this is kind of where we get into what I like to call calling their baby ugly. Have you ever heard of that before?
0: No. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a mean uh, little phrase. But basically, it's like I was saying. Every uh, most small business owners have some sort of primary wheelhouse, and then they literally have no idea what they're doing outside of that. And and the worst part is that they don't even know what they don't know, right? So, it, it's your job to call their baby ugly and then offer really really good value. And so basically the idea of calling their baby ugly is saying, "Hey, look. What you're doing is not right. It's actually pretty bad. And you want to ethically create like almost a sense of of like almost doom and gloom and urgency. And you got to show them, "Hey, like hey guys, look, like you have this website, the design could be a lot better and you're probably losing a lot of money because you don't this isn't set up in a way that's going to get you You know, recurring customers. This is a bad thing. Do you guys, you guys guys know what's going on here?
0: Okay, and a lot of times it'd be like, oh yeah, some guy built that for us like seven years ago, and we have
1: right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, and so, what you want to do is you want to kind of the first thing you want to do is think about well, what are all the things that that could go wrong if they don't hire you, right? And so you bring this up in an ethical way, in an ethical kind of um, empathetic way. You're like, hey, guys. I noticed that this funnel isn't looking good. Like I noticed that the email autoresponders are kind of messed up. The the site design is kind of lacking. Have you guys thought about this? Like have you thought about how to how to improve this? And really paint the picture of kind of the worst things that, that could happen, like potentially the bad things that could happen from them not improving this area of their of their business. And the idea here is that if they're kind of already lacking, um you want to show them what they where they're where they're lacking. And if they're already doing okay. You want to kind of paint the picture about how much better they could be with your services, right? Um, and you always want to kind of tie it back to the primary metric, which is, most cases, is probably money. So basically, you want to show people how what they're doing is losing them money or not allowing them to make as much money as possible. And you want to kind of draw this to their attention lightly, because a lot of times people don't even realize what they're what they're doing is possibly, you know, siphoning money off, right?
0: Okay, okay. And we're talking about websites in this case, but it could be like, like you said, people at the gym. Be like, hey, I noticed you're performing that uh, lift horribly wrong you're going to injure yourself you know I don't, like how do you how do you be like and here's my card i'm a personal trainer like, <laughs> be, like super sleazy about it
1: yeah in the, in the gym it's kind of weird especially, <laughs> i think there's i think there's like an aversion to um to telling people like oh that's bad form in the gym right because you don't want to come off as that d-bag yeah um in the gym situation it might be more like you see someone, and maybe they're deadlifting, and their whole back is making a C shape, and you're like, "Oh god, they're gonna break their back."
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> and
1: so you might you might um, frame it in a in a sense of like going up to them, and saying, "Hey, what are you what are you working on?" "Oh, back. That's cool." So like, give me you know just just give me an idea. What, what's your what's your programming like? Oh, you, you wanna you wanna get bigger and stronger. That's cool. Um, well, you know, actually, I, I, I train athletes. That's why don't you take my card and check out my website? There might be some good tips for you to help um, improve your deadlift, right? Okay. and so you can frame it in a way of being empathetic towards them like hey oh i see you're trying to improve well i have some i have some cool things to improve your deadlift but not necessarily call them out whether you make them feel too bad about it <laughs> okay right And i think it really depends on on who you're approaching but one thing you might be able to do to kind of loop into this is you might be able to ask probing questions right so again you'd gauge it to um engage it to who you're interacting with and what the context was but a lot of times if you ask really specific questions, people will be able to tell right off the bat that, they, that you know what you're talking about. So for instance, um, let's say you're approaching a company because you want to do social media consulting for them. You might ask questions like, hey, have you ever thought about how you're going to insert the blank, figure out what, you know, you, you're filling these, filling these blanks in. So like, have you ever thought about how you're going to do X, Y, Z? Or I've been looking at your website or your product and your service. Why haven't you X, Y, Z? Or um, how do you know that? Or what happens if, so you're basically, you're finding people who need your services and then you're kind of just picking their brain a little bit to figure out kind of what's going on with them and you're piquing their interests, but you're also showing that you know what you're talking about by asking them questions that would only be asked by someone who has a little bit of a deeper knowledge in the field.
0: And you're typically doing this like face to face, um, you know, for, for brick and mortar stores locally, or or you can do this online as well.
1: I think this works in both ways. And I think that um, you have to be intelligent about it. You have to figure out – you have to do some good research and figure out who it is you're approaching. But this can be brick and mortar or it can be online too.
0: Okay. Any uh, – like so, – so then what's the next step? Like uh, here, here's the – here's my proposal of what I can do for you. It's going to be $10,000. Sign here.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean the next step after that is you, you kind of have to figure out your – you're finding these people who need your services – you're kind of creating a little bit of doubt by showing them some things they could be doing wrong. You're asking good questions so that they know that you're paying attention to their, their needs. And then you want to offer them something, something valuable, right? So it might be let's, – let's go back to the, the trainer, for example. So you see someone and they're doing a horrible deadlift in the gym. You're like, ooh, they're going to kill themselves. Um, you say, hey, you know, uh, I, train, I train elite athletes. So this might actually help you. Check out my website. Um, I have a bunch of really cool tutorials on doing deadlifts. It's going to make your deadlift stronger. And you direct them to your website, show them some really cool free value, and then when they're on the website, when, when they're on your when they're on your website, sorry, make sure that you have a a form to have them sign up, or better yet, get their get their their number and their contact information when you see them in the gym, and say, hey, do your um, check out the videos on my site and um, and try some of the techniques I showed you for deadlifts on there, and let me know how it goes, and get their contact information, and then. Email them in, you know, a week or so after they've had a chance to look at your stuff and say, hey, how'd that deadlift video go? Did that work out for you? What happened there? And um, and start a dialogue with them. And most likely one of two things will happen. They'll either have tried it and it will have worked well for them or they'll have tried it and there'll be some questions or maybe they won't have tried it at all. But at that point, you can kind of bring them into your, your circle and um, – say hey let's let's talk about how to get your deadlift up and at this point you're not even selling anything yet but you just want to kind of give them almost a free consult to figure out what their biggest problem is and solve it for them right there
0: right 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 how how does that kind of transition into paid or i mean you know with the website design stuff with the social media stuff i can see that you know easily transitioning into uh, like a a contract Um, is that typically what happens next
1: Yeah, I mean typically what happens next is so you you find – again, you find people who need your services and you ask them some questions. You give them some good free value and a lot of times you want to do – this is something that Evan Pagan came up with. It's called moving the free line and so basically you're giving someone something really valuable for free and they're wondering, wow, if he or she helps me this much for free, what could happen if I pay for it? And so you're – let's say in the case of the trainer, you're giving them some good um, input on their deadlift. You're kind of helping them solve that problem before they've even entertained the idea of paying you. And then you say, you know, hey, I'd, I'd love to design a program for you. And then, they, you know, you kind of go into the idea of making this to a full service solution by showing them what they can get just with a little bit of your knowledge, kind of bringing them into your, into your sales funnel, as it were, and saying, hey, let's talk about designing a full program for you. And you can transition into that by just having a really good um, presentation and a really good offering of what you have to provide, you know.
0: Yeah, we've seen this, or I've heard this echoed um, uh, several different times. Like, hey, what can I, what can I offer for free up front as, as like a, as like a sample? Well, shoot, it's like if you go into Costco, that's why they're giving you free samples. because They want you to buy exactly. That stuff. Uh, exactly. But like you know the the Brian Harris method of hey I, I made this video for you off your most popular infographic. Uh, you know, you're free to use as you as you like it. Um, you know, if this is something you'd be interested in, you know, on an ongoing basis, let me know. And just like, whoa, you know, blow them away with that free thing. And, and then it's like, well, my gosh, I, I want more. I'm hooked
1: now. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you, you have to think about it. There's also a little bit of, um, I guess, reciprocity at play there. So if, um, if you're, if you're giving something away for free and someone really, really enjoys it, they almost feel semi obligated to at least continue the conversation with you for a while. Right. Yeah. 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 You no. Know, um, and there's actually this interesting experiment. I don't know if you heard about it. Uh, it's in the '70s, I believe, and uh, the psychologists at a university were doing this experiment where they um, they had obviously like a um, an unaware participant in the room, and then they had you know someone who was in cahoots with uh, with the researchers. And so the the um, person on the research team was sitting in there with the uh, with the unaware student, and he got up and he said, "Hey, I'm going to you know I'm going to go to the bathroom and grab a coke. Do you want one? Right? And if the if the, unaware, if the unaware student said – whether they said yes or no, the uh, researcher would come back in and would give them a small ask afterwards like, hey, can I borrow a dollar? Hey, can I borrow a dollar or two for this? I need to go buy something. Okay. You know? um, and what they would find is that whether, the, whether the, the original participant decided to grab a Coke with them or not in the beginning, that act of the researcher asking beforehand, hey, can I get you something? increase the likelihood that the that the participant would give them more money right i bet and it's just the idea of well this person wanted to do something nice for me and i'll do something nice for them back yeah and just it's just a it's just an easy little um psychological loophole that we can use by by giving away a lot of free value first and then just making a very simple offering doesn't need to be like a sneaky sales pitch it's like hey i've already shown you something cool i can do let's continue this work
0: yeah some psychological acts Definitely, uh, if you haven't already, check out the book
1: Influence by uh, Robert Childine. Childine, yeah, there's no other book you should read on on persuasion it's It's the book it's one of my
0: one of my absolute favorites. yeah if you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time, and you're still paying for that privilege. but hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. you so so we, how do we kind of continually fill this fill this funnel? Uh, you know that's that's the challenge like I've done all this work. I've done all this hustle to to land this one client, but we, you know what's what's after that? maybe and maybe I'm happy with that as as a side hustle, but you know if I want to grow this thing, I've got to have to move move up in the world,
1: yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things. I think the first thing is you'll refine your method as you as you start finding people who might need your services and you start approaching them. It's the the biggest thing in the beginning is the fear of rejection, right? The fear of like, okay, well I did this once, it kind of worked, but like I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't want to get rejected. Um, I don't know how many more people will actually, will actually you know, wanna buy my services. And so the first thing I, I like to think about is, you know, if I can get my first three clients under my belt, I know I have a real thing. Like I know this is a real quote unquote business, you know? Um and so the first your first kind by, of by three <laughs> I don't know. I just because I think like one one could be like your mom, and you know the other one might be like, oh well, maybe they're just doing it because they feel bad for me. But if I can get three paying clients, I feel like this is a real thing.
0: Okay, you know? okay.
1: And so I think your first goal should be to get your first three paying clients, right? And then from there, you're going to deal with everything that that kind of a full time freelancer would deal with in building your funnel. It's just overcoming objections. Like to get more clients, you have to learn how to overcome objections. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get a couple of clients, you're going to be feeling good, but then you're going to start encountering trouble when people give you pushback, right? Sometimes it gets harder. And as, as a side hustle, you have to know the hustle part of it, which is overcoming things that people might say to shut you down.
0: Yeah, there's always, uh, your, your price is too high, or exactly. I'm not, I'm not I, I just had this website built seven years ago. I don't need another <laughs> one
1: yet. Well, right. And it's like demoralizing too, because like if you know your services are really good, but. No one else does yet, or you know they're really good, but people give you some sort of like objection that you don't know how to overcome. You're like, well, I guess I just we just won't do any work then. I don't know how to, I don't know what to say to you. You know, yeah. And what, so, what do you, what do you say? Yeah, well, I think there. Are, well, first of all, there are in my mind there are like I don't know six or seven key objections. So the biggest one, obviously, you just mentioned it, right? Is price. So your price is too high. Uh, another one is kind of like external input, right? So if you have you're offering to do landscaping services and someone's like, well, I better check with my husband. You know, that sometimes is just uh, is just like um, an objection so they don't have to spend money right there even if they want the service. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is complacency. So it's kind of the thing you mentioned with the website. Like, well, wow, we just had this done seven years ago. No need to relook really into this. Mm-hmm. A lot of – another one could be like scheduling, timing. So, you know, oh, well, it's not the right time. You know, come back later. Again, that's kind of putting, putting off the inevitable – one of my favorites is personal politics. So you'll have things like, "Oh yeah, well, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to have you train me, but I already promised my my girlfriend's cousin that he could train me, so I wouldn't want to mess that up." You know, things like that. Things, personal politics, things where people have personal reasons why. Okay. Um, another one would be like fear of change. Like, well, you know, I don't want to mess things up. I just learned this new system. Why would I want to switch to another system? And then I guess the last one would probably just be trust. Like they don't know you and so they don't trust you enough yet.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. You're coming in relatively, even though it's you know warm canvassing, it's still like, wait a minute, you know,
1: who who who's this guy? Yeah, exactly. And so there's trust. So I think the first the first and most important thing that we need to deal with is price. Because I think, you know, remember sometimes there's gonna be a mixture of multiple of these objections at one time. But I think price is usually always an issue, uh, especially when you're learning how to find your ideal clients in the beginning. And so the biggest thing with price. Is um, is that you have to the solution to, to solving the price is like well you need to show them how much valuable how much value they're actually getting from your service so people will say things like well you know this costs too much or I can get the same service from someone else cheaper or especially in the case of web design like I'll just pay someone in India you know fifty bucks to do it while I'd pay you five thousand yeah um, <laughs> right and so you can say well you know you you can do that um, but you need to show them what they can get from you that they can't get from anyone else and you need to give them reasons. You know why your prices are so high compared to competitors, and you also need to kind of highlight the risks that they encounter when going with a cheaper service. And this is a little bit doom and gloom. It's kind of like it's kind of like when we were talking about um, like the like the calling a baby ugly thing. It's kind of like all right, well you can get you you know this website done for two hundred bucks on Elance, but you're probably not going to get exactly what you want, and there's probably going to be a, a language barrier where you don't really know how to communicate exactly what needs to be done, and. You might end up getting two or three, you know, two hundred dollar websites before you actually get what you want. Why don't we just do it right the first time? You know? Yeah. Well,
0: one one cool thing, we didn't really touch on this, but on the pricing side, like by proactively going after these customers and kind of giving your value first, it's not like we're on Elance, you're starting from a much weaker position. Like it's a price bid system like you know people put the job out for bid and you know there's not most people i hope will will kind of like take out the outliers on the low and high side but it's you know it's still like the price is you know it's right up there like for topic of conversation whereas like if you're you're the only provider that they're talking to because you brought it to their attention like all of a sudden you you kind of are in, in a position of better control there
1: that's a really good point. And I guess the only thing I'll say to that is with Elance, I never reveal my prices um, before because you can say – you can click a little box that says discuss price later or you know omit the price. And I, so I always omit it and sometimes people will, will just not even talk to you because you haven't mentioned a specific price. But I tend to not – I don't like leading with prices. I know that the easiest way to kind of get eliminated quickly is have a high price and show it early. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Even if you're the best service, people are like, Ugh, I don't want to pay that. So you have to kind of, uh, you have to kind of uh, show them some value first before you can justify showing them an the expensive price. But the idea with with pricing is, no matter what your price is, if you have a value that can back it up, then you can justify it. And if you are not able to overcome the objection about price, then you haven't shown them value enough. So, for instance, if you're offering to build someone's website, and you're just like, yeah, we'll make it look really nice. Five thousand dollars, like that's too much. But if you say we'll make it look really nice, and not only that, but we're going to show you how to, you know, build a system into it that, um, that creates an autoresponder and gets you more clients and generates more money for you. And here are some specific numbers and X, Y, Z. Show them how it's really going to improve their business. You're going to provide enough value up front that so that they can see why your price to be justified. You know.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. Um rich20something.com is the website. Anywhere else people should go if they want to learn more about freelance domination and and all the other stuff you got going on?
1: Yeah, man. Um, So I put something together really cool. I put together just a little mini course on uh, developing a freelance idea, building it out in something that's actually real and uh, getting your first client. And so if you just go to rich20something.com slash side hustle, which is an homage to you, Nick.
0: Thank you. Uh, Thank you.
1: richswaysummit.com/slash-sidehustle. Um, you can get all the details there and get access to the, the free little mini course to put together for you.
0: Very cool. Thank you for that, Daniel. Yeah, man. No problem. Uh, last year uh, I asked you for your number one tip for uh, for Side Hustle Nation. You remember what you said?
1: Uh, I don't know. What did I say?
0: Cultivate the skills, and the passion will follow.
1: That's really smart.
0: It sounded very deep when I, when I, I had to
1: go, had to go <laughs> look that up. Cultivate
0: simple. the skills and the passion will fall. Uh, curious, has that changed over the course of the year or have you got something something new?
1: My new one for this year is just just wing it, whatever <laughs> for today. You know I think that for me over the past year, what I've learned is that um, the less I have to do, the more I get done. So for me, um, the, the biggest insight I've had over the past 12 months is kind of striking away the unnecessary and leaving only the the necessary and as i've taken on less and less projects the projects that i do take on have become exponentially uh more successful the quality of my work has gotten better and so i i think that maybe um maybe we we assume that many of the things that we are presented with are essential when really we might only have two or three essential things in our life and we should focus on the most essential things and kind of strike away some of the superfluous outliers and streamline what we think we have to be doing so that we can do what we're really you know tasked with with much better quality and and speed in many cases
0: i love that i love that i've been yeah i'm trying to uh, study the one thing and essentialism this year yeah and uh, you know the less the less i have to do the more i get done that's um that's really good stuff I love it and Daniel thanks so much for joining us uh, we'll uh, we'll catch up with you soon It's
1: a pleasure Nick thank you
0: There it is. I really enjoyed that chat with Daniel from rich20something.com. And hopefully you did as well. Got a lot of juicy takeaways. Be sure to hit up rich20something.com slash side hustle to check out Daniel's free mini course on freelancing he's put together for us and grab the extended show notes with all his top tips from this call at sidehustlenation.com slash 111. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll see you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.
1: Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at
0: www.sidehustlenation.com.